Hey, what's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast crew here, episode seven, and we have a lot to talk about today. So a lot of things happened since we've met with everyone last, uh, the last podcast. Uh, some interesting stuff, and we're going to try to get to everything. Seth has posed an interesting question for us to answer towards the end. We are going to be including the trending segment that we omitted last time. So just to run through the list of things that we're going to talk about today, from the Vault Angels, a, a great article uh, Paolo wrote about Modern. We're going to cover the Modern GP, the standard Star City Games um, Houston. So we're going to talk about standard, and then Richard is going to chime in about Legacy. And then we are going to talk about the Hasbro report. So a lot to talk about. How are you guys doing? As always with me, my co-hosts Richard and Seth. How's it going? Good. Good. Let's just jump right in. So before we get into anything from the Vault Angels, I'm going to let you guys talk about it. So, Richard? Yeah, it's it's an angel set or a, <laughs> from the Vault, so everyone's excited. Uh, I think people are listing a lot of high-valued angels, hoping to be, re- to be reprinted, but I don't know how many of them are actually going to make it through. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I'm hoping for the original Sarah Angel, even though it's not worth anything. I, I like the original art, and it's the most epic angel. So it must be there, but it's going to take up a value slot, and people are going to be unhappy about it. Yeah. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Angels are definitely really popular. I, I'm i not sure the exact rankings, but I would assume angels have to be, like, top three as far as most popular creature types with dragons and maybe goblins or something. But, yeah. So I think it's a cool, uh, cool creature type to focus on. I think Richard's right. Like, usually these sets don't have three or four or five really high value card. There's usually one like premium, really expensive card. And then a few other like mid range cards and some cheap cards. One I'm looking forward to possibly is fallen angel. Someone mentioned this on Twitter and the original fallen uh-huh. angel has never been printed in foil. So that would be a pretty sweet, uh, cheap addition to the deck. So fallen angel needs, it's like 10,000 three print. <laughs> um, I'm just going to pose this question. So, yeah, from the vault. So you think it's going to be along the lines. The last one was um, Annihilation, right? The Wrath of God, like the Sweepers one. Yep, the one lacking so, damnation, yes. <laughs> yeah. So are you? do you feel this one's going to be a letdown like that where they might just totally miss the most opportune reprint? Yeah, I feel it'll be a letdown to players like us who are expecting too much. <laughs> but for a, you know, for a random yeah. person that, that's going to stumble across this, if they somehow manage to get this limited print run product, they'll open it up and they'll be like, oh, cool, 20 angels or whatever, right? So I think it'll, it'll be fine for the average person, but people expecting them to print like $500 worth of foil angels will be yeah. totally disappointed. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I hate to yeah, be a spoiler, ahead. but I'm pretty sure Damnation isn't going to be in there. So in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first saw From the Vault Angels... I mean, I kind of figured this would have been from the vault, like, already. Like, angels are super popular, like you mentioned, Seth. But I I asked this question, like, was there any real angel that was in, like, a dire need of a reprint, like, in terms of, like, a like a playing standpoint? I mean, like, the only one that really pops into my head was, like, Iona. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go so far as reprinting, like, Avison. I know Avison's, like, kind of pricey these days, but what do you guys think on that? Uh, Seth? Well, I was trying to think, like, something they've been doing recently is putting portal cards into these sets. Is there any portal or angels that could be coming up, like portal or um, 
any of those weird like starter sets or anything like i can't think of any off the top of my head do either of you guys know is there any angels in there i i have no idea no <laughs> to be honest <laughs> richard uh archangel but archangel's been reprinted many many times but i think yeah. archangel was the angel in portal okay yeah that's not too exciting I mean, there's not really much to talk about without seeing the, you know, the whole set in front of us. So any kind of final thoughts on that? So what do you guys think the, the pricey angel will be? My personal pick would be Avison. Avison's like the mother of angels. So I, I think it's a shoe in for the set. I, yeah, I think practicality, you know, it would be Avison. I think in terms of like what would needed to be reprinted in terms of, like, a constructed sense, is Iona? I don't know. That's my... It's either Avison or Iona for me. Yeah, I can't think of any other ones. Those are definitely the big two. Um, What's the commander card? Like, Callus? Kala Of the Vast? Kalia? Kalia. I mean, I know she's not an angel, but she references angels. Like, do you think that could show up in there? She's pretty expensive. Well, I mean, in that case, maybe, like... If they're going to do that, then cards like Entreat the Angels might be in there, too. So that kind of like yeah. makes me a little uneasy about I my definitely think version. Entreat will be in there. And I think oh, Kalia okay. has a good chance because Kalia also references dragons. And guess what other set's coming up? Dragons yeah. that are here, right? So it would be uh, a pretty good tie-in. So Kalia, I think, is on the table for this. Yeah. All right. So that being said, let's just move right along. So... On Channel Fireball, uh, Paolo Victor Damo, Damo da Rosa, sorry, <laughs> butcher to favorite. butcher a prose name, I, I, it's like a sacrilege, great article, and he basically said he doesn't like modern, and for which reasons? Uh, we'll start with you, Richard. Yeah, so uh, I'll just call him uh, Paulo or PVDDR. <laughs> uh, so his his general article said, you know, there are too many strong linear strategies in modern. So things like affinity, uh, things like twin, things like burn, they require very specific answers. And there, there aren't enough cards in modern to generally answer these. So there's very strong specific hate, but you can't pack that hate in your main deck because it's not applicable to other matchups. And your sideboard is too small to, you know, fill your, uh, you know, to fill the whole suite out. So if you want, like, say, graveyard hate, you need, you know, three or four cards, but that's a third of your sideboard, and you might only run into, like, maybe 7% of the field running graveyard strategies. So he's basically saying strategies are too strong, and you don't have a good way of dealing with it. And his two solutions were to increase the sideboard to 20, uh, so you would have more slots to put in your hate, or start unbanning things. He mentioned unbanning ancestral visions to give card advantage strategies some play, and also going to uh, the Unbanned of Jace and Bloodbraid Elf. So I guess you have a buddy, Seth, <laughs> uh, who also agrees that Jace should be unbanned. So let me let me ask you the same question, Seth. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was an awesome article. It was very well written and well thought out. I agree with him to some extent. Like you really you really can't play sideboard cards for all the matchups you need sideboard cards for. Like. You have to pick and choose two or three decks that you really want to beat out of the sideboard. Like, if you, it's a, it comes down to opportunity costs. Like, yeah, you can always beat Dredge if you play five uh, Leyline of the Voids and Graph Diggers Cages, but then you're going to lose something else. You can always beat Affinity if you play four Stony Silences, or usually, but 
then you're giving up so many points to other matchups. So it is a problem, and the solution the pros came to was just play junk decks because they have main deck answers in Thoughtseize and Inquisition, uh, even Liliana to some extent. Like, it's a deck that has game against all the strategies. So I think for the foreseeable future, we're at this place where it's junk uh, versus the combo decks. So, which is strange, because I think the bannings actually made the problem worse, which was something that Paulo mentioned. Like, they actually made the format less diverse, because now you basically have to play junk if you want to play a fair deck. He posted the breakdown from the PT uh, in terms of percentages of metagames, and it just ties into exactly what you were saying. I mean, Avzan was almost 30% of the metagame. He's echoing your sentiments of, Avzan is now just the deck that you want to play because statistically it's going to have the best matchup against any sort of deck. And that's a problem. I mean, you just can't... There's no specific sideboard cards for Abzan. Like, Abzan's just a value deck. There's all good cards in it. And it also has its own sideboard to counteract what you might be doing to it. It's not like a, a, an aggro deck where you have to side in, like, Anger of the Gods, and you're going to have a, a much better matchup against Abzan. I mean, Abzan's running, like, Siege Rhino, Tazigers. I mean, I mean, something like Anger of the Gods is not really going to be doing anything. And they have Thoughtseize and a bunch of ways to disrupt your hand anyway, so anything that you may have sided in could just be taken out should you draw it, or mulligan down to it. So we came up with a solution of our own, uh, myself, Richard, and uh, Seth. What about a way to introduce cards into modern without having them go through standard? So care to elaborate a little bit more on that? I'll let each of you elaborate. Us, uh, Richard? Yeah, so a lot of people have been talking about, you know, why why does this problem not happen in Legacy? And the, the general answer is Force of Will. Force of Will is kind of that catch-all card that lets you battle all strategies. So you could print a Force of Will, or maybe a slightly worse version of Force of Will, so a stronger counterspell, like the actual counterspell or Force Spike. So if you put one of those into Modern, would that solve anything? And you could bypass Standard by creating a new supplemental product that's only for modern. Seth, do you want to go into a little bit of what we came up with? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at Legacy, one way they get cards into Legacy while avoiding standard are the commander decks. So if Legacy has a problem, they can stick a uh, Toxic Deluge into a commander deck to deal with uh, True Name Nemesis. Uh, actually, I guess they created a problem with the commander decks, too. But um, so they can... <laughs> And also Containment Priest, like Reanimator's doing too well, we're having trouble, people cheating Emrakul into play. We can stick a card into Legacy specifically to deal with this problem. There's no mechanism for that in Modern. Every card in Modern has to go through Standard. That's how it's currently set up. And even when they've printed things like Modern Event decks, those are all cards that are already legal in Modern. So what you could do is have even like a Modern Masters type set, but instead of having it be all modern legal cards, throw in some cards that you think would be healthy for modern and that you want in the modern format. Like, there's options to do this, but we haven't gotten there yet. So I think that's one possibility of uh, of dealing with some of the modern problems. Yeah, it's. I think it's a perfect way to deal with a lot of the things that are going on with modern and just... Instead of just trying to really just worry about the ban list and like what has to come off, what has to go on... Just print cards that don't have to go through standard and are just for modern like they do for legacy. We came up with perfectly. 
I think it's a really great way for them to resolve a big issue with, I mean, they're going to, they're naming modern in an eternal format, right? The last time I heard, they're pushing modern as an eternal format, so they need to start treating it like they would legacy. Why would they have commander cards be legal in legacy if they didn't really care so much about legacy? They can do the same thing, uh, maybe something along the lines as Seth said, where instead of printing like a modern masters where it's just all reprints, maybe change one of the the sets that comes out during the year, like something like Conspiracy or what have you, and all of those cards are just, you know, draft environment or whatever, but are also just legal for modern and legacy or something like that. I think it's a perfect solution to sort of dodge like reprinting like Counterspell or Force Spike back into standard. So it doesn't like disrupt standard so much. Any kind of final thoughts on that? Well, Seth, what would you actually reprint? Are you thinking counterspells or what, or not reprint? Sorry, what would you introduce into the format? Counterspells? I think counterspells would start. Maybe something even like days. I think days would help with some of the problems while also providing a real cost. Um, more so than in Legacy, bouncing your own land to get a free counter is more of a cost in Modern, I think. So maybe days and even Wasteland, like, that Wasteland is another one of those cards that keeps decks fair. Like, you can't just play a bunch of uh, Ravnica Bounce Lands if you're worried about... I've learned that in Cube. Like, Bounce Lands and Wasteland do not mix. Like, that's the <laughs> easiest way to lose a game. So we need some mechanisms to keep these decks fair that decks beyond Junk can play. So, uh, Richard? Yeah, I think we need more powerful cards in each color. I... If you look at Legacy, there are archetypes around specific cards, like Stoneforge Mystic is such a strong card that you can build any combination color deck around it, and you see, you know, various stone laid decks, you see Death and Taxes, you see Maverick, you see all kinds of weird decks popping up because of that one powerful card. So I think if we have enough of these powerful cards in different colors, it would promote diversity, and, you know, these these cards should help you interact, right? So if you grab a GTA or something... You can take care of affinity, right? Obviously too strong, but it's a general purpose answer to everything. So I think some more of these powerful general purpose cards for each color. So not something, something that you can main deck that you don't have to specifically sideboard for, let's say, affinity along the lines of like Scavenging Ooze. Scavenging Ooze is just a great card. And I keep talking about Scavenging Ooze, but it's like really the only card. Uh, yeah, not pushing it or anything, just so that's out there and everyone knows that. Um, just directly talking about a card that is incidental in dealing with a strategy, but is also a good card. So is that something that you're, you're talking along the lines of that we need to see in modern? Something that doesn't clog up your sideboard, which Paolo says, you know, is already a problem and can just be main decked and can just deal with an archetype or strategy on its own while still being good. Yeah, I, I think, I think that works. And the the one thing that they brought up is Birthing Pod was one of these cards. It allowed you to play all these silver bullets, and you know it performs kind of the same function as Brainstorm. You can have all these yeah. silver bullets in your deck, and if you don't need them, you just shuffle them away. But if you need them, you can fetch them and use them, right? So Legacy has kind of solved this with Brainstorm and Force of Will. Uh, Modern kind of had it done with Birthing Pod, but it was too oppressive. So maybe some card selection, like maybe bring back Ponder, I don't know, like Serum Visions kind of sucks, but yeah. maybe even Ponder is <laughs> enough to push blue decks in that direction, but just some kind of card selection or something that allows you to play one-off Silver Bullets without punishing you 
when you yeah, don't need do you them. Think, yeah, do you think bringing back, like, Ponder or Preordain, like, pushes combo over the edge again? Because, I mean, they basically banned every other, like, Storm card. Like, so does that really, is that really, like, bad to bring one of those or both back? I don't think so. I mean, uh, combo decks still have that. Like, they're a little bit worse, obviously. Serum Visions isn't a great card when you stack it up against Ponder. But decks that really want that effect and want to be able to dig in their library can still do it. A card like Ponder, though, that's something you can put in any deck that's playing blue. You don't have to be searching for a combo piece to play Ponder because it's just a good card. Yeah. Richard, do you think that would maybe also introduce, like, a control deck coming back? Or, like Seth said, like, just other decks that play blue that would need Ponder? Yeah, I think it would definitely promote diversity in blue decks. It allows you to play specific answers without being punished so i'm definitely for it even sensei's divining top if you want to go there but it really slows down matches but any of these card selection uh cards will i think will help out modern so the gp happened and the houston star city games open happened and the big talk of both tournaments was green red devotion or just devotion i guess in general so I'll let Richard talk about it first because a card that you were pretty high on and you think you thought that would be really good, uh, just opening up Favorite Fours and looking at it for the first time. So Whisperwood Elemental made a big splash this weekend in both tournaments. So do you want to just talk a little bit about um, what happened in the standards sections of uh, both tournaments? Yeah, so uh, at SCG Houston, Robert Burney uh, took down the uh, the standard open with red green devotion and he was running four whisperwood elementals and uh, also two ugins um, but the breakout card is whisperwood elemental people have thought it's good I personally thought it was really good but it hasn't showed up until now it's a five to cast four four and then at the end of your turn you get to put a manifest into play and you can also just sacrifice the elemental to flip up uh, all of your uh, face down cards so. I didn't actually catch any of the matches on camera, so I'm not sure, you know, if it passed the eye test or whatever, but it showed up at the, you know, the number one deck and people have been talking about it. So I think, you know, people will start brewing with some more and we'll see the true power of this card come out soon. Seth? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good time for Whisperwood. If you think about it, there's been a lot of talk about control decks lately, like especially blue-black control. Mm-hmm. And Whisperwood is so good against those strategies because it has a built-in, like, wrath protection. People have moved away from playing Perilous Vault, which exiles everything, and towards Crux of Fate. So if you have a Whisperwood out and a bunch of mana dorks and the other creatures that these devotions let's play, you can sack your Whisperwood and basically counter your opponent's wrath by manifesting that many cards from the top of your library for every creature that dies. So I think the it- format's right for it right now. Yeah, I think it also, Whisperwood Elemental also kind of, just because it generates so many um, extra power on the board and extra uh, potential new creatures, whether it just be the Manifest in general that's just a land or something like that, or actually having it be like a Pelucrano, uh, sorry, I think it kind of breaks that sort of very mid-rangey, like, Abzan matchup where, you know, you just have, like, these intense board states, and you have this card just generating a lot of extra bodies on the battlefield. We didn't see it for a while, but it's it's back in a big way. And I, I think, it, like Richard said, uh, many podcasts, I think a few podcasts ago, that uh, this would be one of the better mythics in the set and would start becoming a chase mythic. I think 
we're starting to see that happen. So just to touch briefly on the modern portions of the events, or of the Star City, rather, Affinity, Burn, Infect were the top three. And then we have Splinter Twin, Infect, Burn. So a lot of what we saw from Pro Tour. So any kind of thoughts on the modern section? Richard? Uh, I don't really have any comments on it. <laughs> Affinity is still good. Burn is still good. Infect is still here. It hasn't been, you know, people haven't figured out a way to hate that out yet. Uh, so just looks like very fast, efficient decks. It looks like modern is a pretty fast format now. Seth? Yeah, I mean, nothing really sticks out too much. It does look a lot like the Pro Tour, except uh, with a little bit less junk. If you're interested in modern, just go read Paulo's article. It's really good, and and think about that. Because I think this this top 16 provides a very good example of what he's saying. Like, you can't hate out Affinity, Burn, Infect, and uh, Splinter Twin, all with a 15-card sideboard. And those Mm -hmm. are the decks that you can see over and over again in this top 16. So I think it backs up what Paulo was arguing in his article. Yeah. So a lot less junk this time around, meaning like Abzan or a lot less junk is in decks, uh, including like Gurmag Angler. I refuse <laughs> to say the A word. I, it, I'm referring to the deck with Tarmogoyf and Lingering Soul. Yes, I, I, I'm an old player. I call it junk as well. But um, I just wanted to make that distinction um, of uh, actual junk or junk as in like Gurmag Angler type decks. Again, Patrick Chapin, if you're listening... I'm sorry, man. I'm just not a fan of, like, Guramag Angler and Modern, although it was very ballsy. I got to say that. Then we have the Legacy section, and I'm going to let uh, Richard tackle this one because my favorite Legacy deck, Food Chain, took it down. What about Food Chain, Richard? Is, is Food Chain, like, super good? Yeah, Food Chain's still Tier 2. <laughs> the, the, thing about, uh, the thing about Legacy is... There are a lot of Tier 2, Tier 1.5 decks, and they're all really good. The difference between Tier 2 and Tier 1 is not that big of a difference. It's not like standard where, like, Tier 2 is, like, some weird budget deck. So there, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, these Tier 2 decks can always take down tournaments, and it's going to come down to the specific metagame. So the fact that Food Chain won was, like, great, yeah, it, it works, but, you know, I wouldn't be going deep on Miss Hollow Griffins or anything like that. Oh, damn. The interesting so- result is uh miracles made a big comeback i'm seeing four versions of miracles in the top 16 and of course where miracles goes you're going to find uh three death and taxes and a 12 post sitting there so the banning of uh treasure cruise has brought back miracles and miracle players are out in full force again so pretty diverse uh legacy as always like like you said richard there's not a lot of difference between tier one tier uh 1.5 deck so it's basically like any one of these could steal a Star City Legacy Open, right? Yeah. Moving right along, we're before we get into the hashtag trending segment, Wizards released their Hasbro Investor Day 2015 panel and, you know, got out over the internet and there was a lot of uh, mixed reactions, you know, some good, some bad. So we just wanted to tackle it here and talk about what we think of the panel's and what we, the, the direction of Wizards, you know, how, how it looks going forward. So, Richard? Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, investor terminology in here, so I'm not sure what to make of the data. Uh, they have things like active players grew 6% year over year. Players spending money uh, increased 11%. Uh, 
So it's it's showing growth. That's good. It's not going backwards. Now, whether that's good growth for a company of their size, I'm not certain of. Um, but it does show that magic is still growing. The the more interesting thing is where they're focusing their efforts on. So they're moving Duels of the Planeswalker to a quarterly release to closely align with Paper Magic. So it looks like they're kind of getting Duels of the Planeswalker, which is the uh, console, Xbox, PS, iPad, Magic, mm-hmm. uh, to compete with Magic Online, right? If they're releasing all the new cards in Duels, I'm not sure how these two will exist in the same ecosystem. And uh, they also mentioned that they are, quote-unquote, doubling their efforts on Magic Online. So there are a lot of jokes about doubling of zero is still zero, but <laughs> it, it shows that they, they, they're, they've kind of woken up. You know, they've, they've seen all the money that Hearthstone is making. They've seen, you know, the 75 million users or whatever Hearthstone has, and they're starting to kind of invest in the digital area. Certainly, you know, a travesty that they haven't been focusing on Moto because it's such a big part of the market now. I'm going to ask the same question to you, Seth. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it's pretty positive news. I'm not sure that the the growth in active players is as much as they would like it to be, but uh, the fact that player spending is increasing faster than they are adding new players is an encouraging sign uh, for those of us interested in the financial aspect of things. Something else I noticed is over the past four or so years, the game has gotten a lot more international. Like if you... Uh, if you look through some of the data, uh, in 2010, like 56 or 58% of the active players were American. That's down to the high to mid-40s now. So the international community is really increasing. And I think they mentioned like Brazil and some other uh, of the Asian com- uh, countries as places where they really think there's a lot of growth potential for the game. So it's exciting to see some of these places um kind of take off in the magic magic community there's a lot more players potential players out there than just in the united states and it's easy to forget that i think because we have so many gps here so many pros are from here but there's a big world out there and a lot more people are starting to play they also mentioned uh, in relation to what you were talking about like on a global scale that they are now opening the modern masters gp is going to be held simultaneously in japan netherlands and united states it's going to be a four-day event, so they're starting to incorporate uh, other countries into, into getting that product out there. So any kind of final thoughts on the Hasbro panel? Richard? Yeah, I really want to see what they do with Duels of the Planeswalker quarterly releases. Like, yeah. if we see Dragons of Tarkir in Duels of the Planeswalker, I would be very surprised. And, you know, what does this mean for Magic Online? Are they going to try to migrate people over? It's going to be a big mess. Uh, it's going to be very confusing to new players of Magic when they have, you know, two different versions of Magic, quote-unquote, the video game. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they clean this up and streamline it into a single kind of unified product. Yeah. Seth, final thoughts on the Hasbro panel? Yeah, I mean, it just struck me the other day. They have a, a panel in there about uh, the new rotation schedule. Did you guys realize that Fate Reforged will only be standard legal for one year? We've never had a set that's been standard legal for less than like 15 months, which are the core sets. So I'm trying to figure out what exactly that means uh, for the finance stuff. Like that throws off the whole cycle of everything. Like we've been talking about this new rotation for a while now, 
but now it's actually here. Like, we're having sets printed, and we're opening sets that are going to be impacted by this. Doesn't, you know, Dragons of Tarkir, you know, how does that drafting work? Does that already push out Fate Reforged? Actually, um, that's going to push out uh, Cons of Takar, actually. Yeah, Cons, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. You know, all three sets are kind of, they're affecting each other already, and then you have the new release uh, cadence going on with this new two-set block structure. And even stranger, Dragons of Takar isn't going to rotate along with the other two sets in the block. So Cons and Fate Reforged are going to drop out of standard, while Dragons is still going <laughs> to be standard legal. <laughs> weird. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, pretty weird. We're going to move into the hashtag trending segment. So a lot of interesting stuff. We're going to tackle the, you know, you can see these every day on mtggoldfish.com. So we're going to talk about a little bit of the movers and shakers. So hashtag trending, standard and modern. We're just going to go through the weekly changes, top 10, like we always do. So standard weekly changes, top 10. Ugin, Gruk, Apex Predator, Ashiok, Outpost Siege, Urborg, Siege Rhino, Liliana Vest, Athreos, Adelon of the Great Revel, and Temple of Milady. And then on the modern side, we have Liliana of the Veil, Don't Look Now, Here Comes Tarmogoyf, Snapcaster Mage, Sliver Legion, Pact of Negation, Sword of Fire and Ice, Counterbalance, Bitter Blossom, Piercedeal Paladin, and Doran, in that order. So, thoughts. Richard? Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this. You know, when I look at these lists, I'm like, yeah, they're all good cards, right? And then there's always, like, the one or two oddball there from random people speculating. But, you know, all of these cards are very playable, so I don't think, like, Garrick broke out into any new decks or anything. I think people are kind of just, you know, picking up the Planeswalker. Same with Ashiok. I guess blue-black control is seeing a little resurgence. But, you know, these are all good cards, so there's nothing too shocking here. Seth? Well, with the standard cards, it's kind of interesting to see that, like, four or five of those cards are cards from the deck that some of the Star City Games guys played the first week of Fate Reforged Standard, the, like, Frontier Siege ramp into Ugin and Garuk deck. So it seems like a lot of people must be building that deck. I'm not sure why else, like, four or five of the rares from that deck are spiking at the same time. I'm not exactly sure why there's a little bit of a delay. Like, that was two or three weeks ago, and that deck hasn't done much since then. So I don't know if people, like, just got their paychecks or <laughs> how it worked out, but <laughs> it seems like people are building that deck now. Yeah, I, it's also interesting to see the amount of Theros block cards that are creeping up into these uh, daily, even the daily uh, winners and weekly winners. Like, Athreos is somehow, like, creeping up there a lot recently. Temple... You know, uh, Nykthos, obviously, with the green-red uh, devotion list doing well. Uh, it's interesting to see, like, you know, M15 and Theros cards, like, creeping up into there so frequently. I would be thinking it would be more a lot of uh, cons block cards, but apparently just people need them to build decks. And I guess Adelon of the Great Revel doesn't really need any explanation as why it's on there, because it's a good card, a uh, multi-format staple. So, any kind of final thoughts on that? Well, I think some of those cards you mentioned, the Athreos, Pure Steel Paladin, even Urborg, I think these are spiking because of non-standard formats, like yeah. Athreos, Pure Steel Paladin, or Tiny Leaders cards, 
Uh, Urborg is more of a modern staple than a standard staple even. Yep. So I think that these cards that seem random because they're from M15 and Theros are getting a bump from these other formats. Yeah, a, a definitely sort of Fire and Ice, and I'm assuming the other swords are going to start following because while Sword of Fire and Ice is obviously a great sword, don't get me wrong in saying that it's a great card, black is a very dominant color in Tiny Leaders, so the uh, Feast and Famine and Light and Shadow are probably going to follow, I think, because they give a pertinent uh, protection in that format. So to end the podcast... Seth posed a question for us to answer. So, have at it, Seth. So yeah, I was I was uh, going over some modern master stuff this <laughs> week. I was trying to figure out because I've noticed in myself, I say any card that's been printed between Eighth Edition and New Phyrexia. When I write an article, I automatically say, "Oh well, this could be reprinted in Modern Masters." Then I thought, "Wait, there's only 15 Mythics. There's only 53 rares." I've built like three or four Modern Masters sets if you counted up all the cards I said this could be printed in Modern Masters. Like, we can't have everything in there. So what if Tarmogoyf is one of the cards that misses Modern Masters? How much would Tarmogoyf cost if it wasn't reprinted this summer? That was my question for you guys. I'll defer to Richard. Uh, I'm going to say zero because Modern will be dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I really think Modern is a ship sinking. Like, I, I haven't heard anyone say Modern's a great format. You should play Modern. Modern's the coolest thing. Like, it just seems like Wizards is trying to push this really hard. And as long as Tarmogoyf is so expensive, it just is really off-putting to players. You know, you would ra- I would rather just buy a set of duels than buy a set of Tarmogoyfs. Yeah. So they really need to reprint Tarmogoyf, possibly even bring it down to rare. Like, if you have Tarmogoyfs and you enjoy Modern... I'm pretty sure you want more players to play modern, so I'm pretty sure you're okay losing value in some of your goifs so that new players come to the format. And affordable goifs would be, you know, a, a good step in that direction. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say something very similar to Richard. It's crazy to see him just keep, like, just see the car just keep climbing and climbing. I mean, at some point, people are just not gonna buy it anymore, and they would just play like blue red twin and just forego you know, $800, $900 on Goyf. I mean, it's just, it's just getting absurd. Uh, I just don't understand. Like, I, I understand the card is amazing. You know, I think not printing it in Modern Masters uh, 2015 would be a huge mistake. But, yeah, it's interesting that you said that, like, not everything may get reprinted. Yeah, there's only 53 rares and 15 Mythics, right? Yep. So, but that doesn't take into account that some rares may get bumped down to... Uh, uncommon. Yep. That's so true. they might, yeah, they may like print some some off rare that they feel needs more supply or whatever, and just making it uncommon. Or I really hope they don't make like a card like Oriox Salvagers into a rare because we've the modern format has grown so much that we can't afford rare slots being given to Oriox Salvagers. Like I don't care how badly he <laughs> warps the format in limited of Modern Masters 2015. As an uncommon, I mean, people are just going to have to deal with it because in my eyes, Modern Masters 2015 is a reprint set first because there's not a lot of supply of these cards and a limited uh, set second. So I don't know if you share the same thoughts on that, Seth. I loved Modern Masters Limited, and I think that having Salvagers at Uncommon probably would have been bad for the format. I think Wizards has to walk a fine line here. Like, yes, 
We need more of these cards in circulation. Yes, printing salvagers at rare takes away a slot for another rare that probably needed reprinting more. But at the same time, they're pimping out this huge GP weekend that's going to have 20,000 people playing Magic. So they really have a stake in having the format be fun for limited. Like, the, how huge of a disaster would it be if everyone go, 20,000 people go to play Modern Mastered Limited, and it's like you're playing, I don't know, like, uh, Triple Avacyn Restored. What's a horrible format? <laughs> like, they yeah. have a stake in making the format good. So they got to balance those two things, I think. Yeah. I mean, you make a you make a great point. I, I think as long as they don't make, uh, you know, mythic slots like the Kamigawa, like Ryusei dragons, I, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> because that would be, you know, with the increase in the MSRP of the packs, if I were to pull a card like Ryusei, I think I would just like, I think I would go just go crazy <laughs> <laughs> right in the store. And I'd get escorted out. <laughs> so, final thoughts on uh, on that question, uh, Richard. Yeah, so I'm going to be playing at GP Vegas, so this better be a good limited format. <laughs> I will blame you personally, Chaz, if it is not. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, like, they, they have many avenues for reprints. They can always throw random cards into dual decks or commander products. So I think, first and foremost, they actually need to balance it for limited. Um, but to answer Seth's original question, if they reprint it at Mythic, I think it's actually probably just going to stay the same price. I don't know that it will go down that much, and... The additional hype from, you know, the actual Modern Masters release will probably increase demand. So the same thing might happen that we saw last time where prices go up after the reprint. So hopefully Wizards can avoid that by creating enough supply. But, you know, I don't see Goyf dropping down to like 50 bucks unless he gets bumped down to rare or something like that. So we covered everything that we wanted to cover. Uh, Thank you both for joining me again. The crew here episode seven of the podcast and everyone who is listening thank you again for joining in and uh, we will see you for episode eight so this is richard myself Chaz, and seth signing out of the mtg goldfish podcast